UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty germs, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, howling in the street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. Eat it whichever way you want to. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I'm really honored to have my guest on today. The work that he's done for our ancient history, uncovering giants and the, the proof of the Anunnaki in his country of South Africa, where basically Enki was in the Abzu. I mean, th this is just amazing what he's been able to uncover. And who I'm talking about is Michael Tellinger. Uh, he's the author of four books. He's a scientist and explorer who's become the real-life Indiana Jones, making groundbreaking discoveries about advanced Spanish civilizations at the southern tip of Africa. His continued efforts and analytical scientific approach have produced stunning new evidence that force us to rethink our origins and rewrite our history. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the Anunnaki, but what Michael's doing, I think, with this Ubuntu movement and one small initiative uh, where he's reforming towns to not include money in them is is huge. And, and that's what I kind of wanted to start off talking about, because I know it's important to him. So, Michael, first of all, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm very well, Rob. Good to meet you. And uh, I'm happy to share this with you and your audience. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, like I said, I, I, start, I was going through some of your videos yesterday. And what you're, you're doing with the One Small Town Initiative is, is it looks very promising and uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, look, unquestionably, this is the most important thing in our lives at the moment. You know, the world is screwed up. I don't think there's any human being alive that is happy with what's going on in the world. doesn't matter what country you live in. Uh, people are under stress. People are struggling to survive. There's a tiny, tiny number of people um, that are, you know, are well off, that can do what they want. But the majority of the global population live month to month, week to week, day to day, uh, just trying to figure out how they're going to survive and pay the ever-increasing costs of everything. Uh, more and more people ending up homeless, more people losing their jobs. It is, it is a battle for survival right now. And if we don't do something to help ourselves, to take control of our future prosperity and abundance, take control of our future food security, water security, um, roof over your head security. If we don't start doing that for ourselves, we will end up with nothing. And uh, we literally will be, all of us will be become homeless and, and under incredible stress. So the One Small Town Initiative is something that evolved over many, many years since 2005. And slowly but surely grew from a philosophy of what would the world look like if you removed money from the system. And then slowly but surely the, the philosophy of contributionism evolved a system which is totally different from any other system whether it's capitalism socialism communism fascism whatever uh contributionism is completely different because it what it does it unites communities and starts creating uh cooperative and collaborative structures within the communities 
so that the communities start doing things for themselves, growing food for themselves, developing technology for themselves. They can care of their water and electricity and so, so much more, uh, education, et cetera, et cetera, uh, instead of doing it for corporations or for governments. And that changes everything. Uh, and, and it's a system where everybody contributes a few hours a week towards the, the businesses that they start and the, the community-owned businesses, because all the businesses we start for ourselves belong to us as a community. Um, and it's really very important that that people look at this and realize that one small town initiative at the moment is most likely and probably the only initiative in the world right now that provides us with a solution, a very simple way of implementing this and a plan of action to initiate this in small towns and communities and put it to work so that very quickly we start creating this solid foundation of abundance and prosperity on all levels and take that control away from large corporations. And uh, you know that small towns are, are really um, open to being exploited by large corporations, whether it's a mine or a Walmart or some large company that comes and sets up a shop or a factory, they put a thousand people to work. And uh, you know sometimes it could be a half of the town's population all ends up working for one large company. When that company decides to close their door, half the population of that town is out of work. So we cannot allow ourselves to be that vulnerable and exploited by large corporations, and that includes governments, and, uh, and literally leaving ourselves open to being dumped when the company no longer needs us. And, and the One Small Town Initiative changes everything. We have a very solid foundation. We have an incredibly powerful blockchain-type platform it manages and controls everything. We can now work with small towns, with mayors. Uh, we can work with church groups and schools um, and small farms. Um, we also have a seed development program where we have a program that activates seeds and makes them super seeds. And it grows a lot more, um, creates a lot more food and much higher yield, whether it's corn or wheat or sunflowers or or tomatoes or cabbage doesn't matter. So we have all kinds of technology that that is part of the One Small Town Initiative, and now it's just for the message to spread around the world, and for people to realize that it's very simple for them to to join and participate. I I, I love the idea, and recently I know what you're you're talking about because I recently almost I lost my job, and I was working for like a large corporation, like exactly what you're talking about. So, you know, I started, I decided to start doing this full time, like do my podcast full time. I'd rather do something as a creative endeavor than, than, than work for someone and be in part of a slave system. It seems like, um, but what I wanted to talk about was you have proof that this is actually working. Now you did an interview on your channel with a nice guy from Lebanon. And a lot of times when we hear about Lebanon, we hear a lot, a lot about like the political strife or maybe religious turmoil. But uh, I, we were talking before the show, a lot of times you said that can be propaganda. And can you talk about the success of what's going on there in that small town? I, I think it's called Ras al-Shaden, is that it? Ras al-Matan. Ras al-Matan, yeah, I'm sorry. Al-Matan in Lebanon. Yeah, so look, uh, in, in around uh, April this year, April, May, we started to get uh, mayors from various countries approach us and uh, and our ambassadors. We have ambassadors in 16 countries for the One Small Town Initiative. So we have uh, we started being um, introduced to mayors who showed an interest in this. 
And since then, it's grown, and we have a lot more interest, uh, like I said, not only from mayors, but now also schools and churches and uh, small farmers that are struggling to survive because their farms aren't big enough. So we then started to sign up the towns um, as they were interested. And at this stage, we have towns. Uh, the first one small town uh, that signed up with us was in Lebanon. So that's a huge breakthrough. Uh, then we have uh, at least one uh, or four towns in South Africa. That's about to expand to several others, many others across South Africa. We have a lot of interest in, in many countries around the world, Australia, UK, USA, Canada, Brazil, and so forth. Uh, but Ras El Matin in Lebanon was the first small town that actually uh, decided, the mayor that decided to, to initiate the One Small Town project there. So that was historic. And what they have done since June this year is absolutely unbelievable. So um, they're really leading by example. The, the communities are signing up, members of the community are signing up to join, become a member of the One Small Town Initiative. And, and all that really means is that they have to contribute three hours a week to the community businesses that they start. So this is the success of the, of the One Small Town Initiative. Imagine a town of 10,000 people where, where even half the people participate and contribute three hours a week. So it's 5,000 people, three hours a week. That's 15,000 hours of labor, free labor that we have for our own businesses. 15,000 hours of labor. We can do so much with that. You know, in a small town, that kind of labor force suddenly makes you, allows you to compete with any large corporation, whether it's Walmart or a big manufacturer of laptops or, or growing food or whatever it is. So it's a very simple concept. It's the, driven by the people of the community. They organize themselves and Lebanon is now leading by example. They've established their own restaurant, food growing gardens, turning plastic to diesel. They've got a bakery and a dairy. They've got a juice bar. They've got a library and an, and an art gallery of all the artists for us in the Russell Martin area and other, other artists in, in Lebanon at the moment. And the One Small Town Art Gallery is a very new and a unique opportunity for artists to display their work, show it to the world, auction their, their art on a monthly basis online, and their art is turned into an NFT. So once they sold their work of art, and it's got an NFT certificate of authenticity with it, that means every time that work of art is resold, that artist gets a royalty from the sale of that work of art. And that changes the lives of artists around the world. This has never happened before. So suddenly, Artists that normally sell a painting or a sculpture or something, and they get paid once, they're not going to be like musicians and authors, where musicians get royalties from selling albums and authors get royalties from selling books. Artists will start getting royalties every time their work of art is sold and resold. And it's a game changer. So we expect the One Small Town Art Galleries to become really sought after by the artists around the world. That's amazing. I love that. Now, you also came up with something really interesting, which is called an infinity token. I, I looked into that a little bit on your channel. Um, could you explain like what you're doing with that? I think that's pretty amazing as well. Yeah, that's a very important um, contribution or addition to the One Small Town Initiative. And that really only happened in, in May this year, 
when we realize that you know when when we start signing up members and they start allocating tasks of what to do for three hours a week so our, our very smart system allocates you to do a certain task for three hours whether it's going to work in a bakery or helping to process food or helping the orphans or whatever it is you know driving the elderly around uh, whatever the task is that you allocated for your three hours a week um, we need to prove proof that the, the member has gone and done that three hours work and uh, so we could have used a punch card system or some sort of a you know proof that they've done their three hours work and then we realize that this is a great opportunity to actually create a, a community owned token a cryptocurrency about a token which is a, a much easier uh, thing to create and to to help distribute or to distribute through the community so we created the infinity token we use very advanced technology blockchain technology for members so when you sign up as a member you get a membership code a qr code that that recognizes you as the member with your profile what your skills are what you're good at what your hobbies are what you love to do what you prefer to do what you'd like to do in the and for the community and then the system allocates you to do, do that three hours so when you arrive to do your three hours uh, a certain time during the week uh, you scan your your cell phone on the qr code machine that then registers you that you've come to do your three hours work. But when you clock out after your three hours um, with your QR code, our blockchain system automatically issues an infinity token into your digital wallet. It sits on your phone. It's connected to your One Small Town membership profile as a member of that One Small Town cooperative. And you, you end up with an infinity token in your wallet. With that wallet, you can send it to anyone around the world as long as they've got a uh, one small town digital wallet. You can put it back onto our trading platform and sell it to a willing buyer. So you can send it to somebody in exchange for something that's completely private, no interference with any banks, none of that. So this is a very important development in, key, in developing a means of exchange in our communities and everyone is equal you know whether you're a surgeon or a street cleaner or a or a baker everyone gets the same remuneration which is one infinity token for every three hours a shift that you've contributed uh, a minimum of three hours a week so this is a fantastic leveling of the playing fields and future prosperity for the communities plus it's a means of unifying the the exploding one small town membership around the world that people all share the same token within the one small town family and uh, we trust that this could be a saving grace imagine if the the financial systems had to collapse what what else are we going to do well it's actually very simple all you need to do is become a member of one small town start contributing three hours a week towards your community and you start earning your tokens so each token has real value. It's not like cryptocurrency, which is this fresh air. It's somebody's crazy idea to create some cryptocurrency. No, our tokens are valuable because they are created by somebody's three hours of labor. So, you know, we can calculate the actual value of the token right now. And the value of the token is whatever the value is of, of an average wage 
for three hours. And we've calculated that to be about $40. So each token is worth around $40, but we launched it for $1. So it's grossly undervalued. Uh, people can buy the tokens on our website, on our platform. They can start accumulating them, as many as you want. Uh, we've sold well in excess of 1 million tokens at this stage, and more and more people are realizing how powerful this token will be in the future. You, you know what? I, I love what you said about the fact that it evens the playing field, because I think that's really important as far as like what you said about like trying to solve the like like here in America, there's a lot of a lot of homeless. Like if you go to California or even here in Pittsburgh, where I'm at, or even like Philadelphia, it seems like it's becoming rampant in every city. So how do we fix that? Well, this could be a, a solution. This one small town initiative. Like I, I love the fact that that maybe like the baker is just as important as the the doctor, you know, because they, they put in a lot of work. So it seems like in the one small town program, everybody's equal. And I think you said that, right? Yeah. Everybody's equal and everyone has access to everything. And it's, it's not that they're equal and they're struggling. It's they're equal and they're creating an abundance, abundance of food, technology, healthcare, education, old age homes, orphanages, uh, sporting events, arts, culture, technology, whatever we as a community decide to do, we can do. If we want to start a laptop manufacturing business, then we start it. We'll put a business plan together and you do all of this on the One Small Town platform. So you'll go online, you'll join up, you'll put the business plan together. Or if you're already a One Small Town community, you have access to all the project management structures, the accounting systems, the, the the business planning system. So you go online and you, you write a new business plan for a, a laptop factory. And you say, okay, it's gonna cost, we need $20 million to start a laptop factory. Right, boom. And then you put out the business plan, open it up to investors around the world. And what do the investors get? The investors get an entire community as their partner, not one potentially crooked individual that might screw them over now, suddenly, the investor goes into business with an entire community. And each one of those members will be contributing three hours a week towards that business. So now that investor has basically got a free labor force. And the benefits, the profits from that, 60% of it goes to the community, 30% go to the investor. And the 10% is retained for the project management fees, rentals, um, intellectual property rights, and things like that. And, uh, and this way... The community can never lose those businesses because they are the majority shareholders. That's so, huge, right? I mean, like the day that the, the now the community, everyone in the community owns sixty percent of that business. That's enormous. Yeah, and and so now the, you know, even if you're the investors, you you can't decide to close that business down. You were the investor, but you only have thirty percent of that business because the community is doing all the work. And and so you as an investor might say, okay, I want out. So you sell your share to the community or to some other investor who's prepared to pay for it, that means the community benefits from that as well. But ultimately, if you sell it back to the community, now the community owns that that business lock, stock and barrel. Yeah, so so, uh, uh, so for, for the One Small Town Initiative, if, if a town is interested in, if the if, say you have people, a couple people interested in becoming a, a One Small Town member and then they, they go to their town and other people are interested, like, how do you, how does people collectively start to become a part of one small town? That's, that's very simple. That's really what the one small town digital platform is all about. Our blockchain platform. 
So you just have to go on our website, you know, fill in the form, say, I want to start one small town in my, in my town. And uh, it'll take you through the process. Tick this, tick that, give us the, the details of your town. But you have to be confident that you can sign up a thousand people. So we have to start with a minimum of a thousand people because that gives us a, a good labor force. It's 3000 hours a week of labor. With that, we can start growing food. We can start cleaning up our town helping the orphanages and the old age homes and all the stuff that needs to be done in the town and setting up the businesses, writing business plans and uh, pitching them, uh, putting them out there for funding uh, that we all participate in and help to promote it to funders around the world. So it's, it's, we, we're making it as simple as possible. Look, for a long time, that was a potential problem for us because we, we, we needed some sort of a centralized blockchain platform system to manage this, and we didn't have that. But since June, we've developed this, and that gives uh, puts us in a very powerful position to be able for people in small towns to register their town as a one small town initiative. And we no longer have to wait for the mayor or the council to approve this and say, yes, we'd like to, to do this uh, with the one small town initiative. So any members, any senior community leaders in a town can decide, wow, this will be great for our town, and they can drive it. They can lead the initiative. You know, so that's really important that, um, that we no longer have to wait for mayors and councils to recognize that this might be good for their community. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be driven by the people, and then the council will almost be forced to participate because if the council doesn't support this, it means... It's not a council of the people. It's not a mayor of the people because the people are doing this for themselves. And, uh, and that's when they'll realize if the mayor needs to be kicked out and elect a new mayor. I think this is amazing. I think it's so promising. I, I, I hope that it takes off for society because I would love to see this kind of change implemented in our world, you know? Um, and, but when it, when it comes to think about it, it makes me think of the Anunnaki and it makes me think that this idea of money was was it's thousands of years old and it started with the Anunnaki, right? With the kingship was lowered from what they call heaven. These kings, yeah. right? They can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, that's where the idea came from. You know, when I was writing Slave Species of God, two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and I accidentally stumbled upon the the true origins of money, the Anunnaki and their role in creating the money system, in bringing the first royal bloodlines into the world and appointing the first priest kings who ruled over the world. They gave them fierce weapons with which they would smite the people if they didn't listen to them. You know, and we read this in the Sumerian texts, in the Sumerian clay tablets, in what they call the king's lists, where they tell us in great detail, and these clay tablets are 6,000 years old, and they talk about getting their information from a time before time. And they talk about a time before time when, when kingdom was lowered to earth from heaven. And the first priest kings were appointed by the gods to rule over humanity. And what did these first priest kings do? First of all, they were very weird-looking guys. In all the depictions that you see, they were much larger than humans. They were like three times larger than human beings. And they sat on their big thrones with the smaller people in front of them. There are many depictions of this. So that makes you wonder about, you know, were these giants or what the hell's going on here? But what these first priest kings, they did, they, they suddenly obviously owned all the land 
and the people became their subjects and they told the people, you know, they created new rules, new laws. Um, the people had to work and, and bring them food and they built their first temples. They built these huge impenetrable temples from which they ruled. They had these fierce weapons that they could just smite the people from a distance. They must have been some energy directed, uh, directed energy weapons or Caesar beam technology, who knows what. But they would literally be able to smite, you know, thousands of people on, on command uh, and just just kill them. Like the sort of story, right? That's it, pretty it much. It seems like they were getting the people to bring in their gold or what, whatever gold they yes. had in exchange for some kind so, of. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is what they did. So, so they built their temples, and from those temples, they created the new laws. Uh, they started to print money. They created money in clay tablets. And these clay tablets, I say money, it was, they were promissory notes, because what they did is they were asking people to, to bring in their gold and silver. And in return, they would give them these clay tablets with an inscription of John Smith delivered eight pieces of gold to the temple. That's it. So that was a promise, you know, that you had deposited eight pieces of gold. So that, when I read that, I went, oh, my God, that is identical, identical to what the banking industry is doing today, creating bills of exchange, promissory notes, and negotiable instruments. That's pretty much describes what the banking industry does in a nutshell. And this is the origin of it. They started doing it then already. And this is the way they got gold and silver from the people for nothing. For a piece of clay, it's just a spectacular deception, right? And uh, and so those temples were very important places. They were the seat of power. They were the seat of where they were writing um, the, the laws, making the laws, where they would pass judgments. The courts were there as well. And it was the bank. So it was all under one roof. And guess what? That's exactly who controls the world today. The royal bloodlines the legal systems, the high courts, and the banks. They still rule the world and control the world today. I agree. Again, you found evidence of these temples and you wrote about it in one of your books, correct? And you found evidence of giants and you have a museum, right? Where you, you show off some of this evidence you found, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, my my museum at my lodge where, where the one small town um, head office is here in the beautiful province of Mpumalanga in South Africa, uh, a little town in the mountains with a river running through it. Um, so this is where I'm based, and this is where I was researching the, the the ancient civilizations, and discovered the largest concentration of ancient ruins anywhere on Earth. It's directly connected to the Anunnaki, uh, the the ancient gold mines of the Anunnaki these millions of stone ruins, stone circle structures with terraces and uh, all connected together by these channels and uh, realizing that these guys were building and creating very advanced technology. So all of this is inextricably connected. You know, so the One Small Town Initiative is a consequence of learning about ancient civilizations, their advanced technology that they had 300 to 500,000 years ago already mining gold on a scale that we can't even imagine and how they then created money and used money to control humanity it's just a spectacular deception and a story that blows your mind when you start to get into it 
Yeah, I, I remember Gerald uh, Gerald Clark. He died, but he he wrote that he wrote about the Anunnaki too, and he was saying that they found evidence of those gold mines in your in your area of Africa, and he was saying that they had proof that somebody was mining gold hundreds of thousands yeah. of years ago. Like, how, if that, oh. if this story wasn't true, how could that even be possible? And I think it is possible. I think it's very true, right? Yeah, absolutely. We have, I mean, uh, I have evidence of a dozen ancient gold mines. You know, some of them have been well studied, but that's very kept very, very quiet. Uh, you only get that through people that were involved in those studies or involved in the uh, assessment of what they discovered. You know, when there's an accidental collapse in a modern mine or they're building a tunnel and it collapses and, and suddenly they, they discover these ancient tunnels with tools and artifacts there and they're wondering, what the hell is this? Where does this come from? So they're... they're, they're of these kind of accounts that people have shared with me that is just spectacular i wanted to ask you this too what my a hypnotherapist that i went through uh she told me that um that you had found out that anki's genetic labs were actually in like the cedars of lebanon is that true or is that is that like something that's a that's a tough question i can't say that for sure i have not been to lebanon uh, hopefully I'll be there very soon sometime in, in at the end of January to go and see our Lebanese brothers there and um, look at the success they're creating with one small town, which brings such great joy to my heart. Um, so I don't know about Enki's um, lab in Lebanon. What I know is that we have a, a site here in South Africa called Adam's Calendar that I studied and researched. And uh, Adam's Calendar is... is uh, on the edge of a mountain overlooking a huge impact crater that at this stage looks like it was one of the early Anunnaki ancient gold mines that they mined for th probably thousands of years. Um, and that's why it created such a, a, a deep crater from what potentially was originally a much smaller crater, impact crater. And wow. Adam's calendar is right on the edge of that cliff. And Adam's calendar is a machine, a very powerful ancient uh, teleportation, transmutation, who knows what kind of device, but it is a very powerful toroidal field technology, energetic, energy generating machine. It was like, you know, I often refer to it as a beam me up, beam me up Scotty of, of the ancient times device. That's so cool. And the same stone circles are too. And there's hundreds of thousands of those stone circles, correct? There's there millions, there are millions of them. So there's nowhere else on earth that, that there are as many ancient ruins as you find here in South Africa. And each one of the stone circles is an energy generating device. That's the mind blowing thing. And they're all connected to each other. So whatever they were doing, they were generating an insane amount of energy. You know, I can say this because we've measured it many, many times. We've, we've done so much research on this stuff. It's, uh, it's crazy. My, one of my last questions for you is is that uh, is about Anki and the Abzu. Like, what was it actually the Abzu? Would you say that was right there in South Africa? Because I know they talk about that in the tablets. Yeah, uh, well, that's what I think. You know, it, I might be wrong, but everything points towards this. Is that the Abzu was really broken up into the Abzu and the Deep Abzu. And it was most likely in those days, there were no borders, obviously. It was just Africa. A giant continent of Africa with all its incredible beauty and riches. Um, and, uh, and this is why the Anunnaki were very, very active here. And I suspect 
That's one of the reasons why Africa was a no-go for so many millennia and, and you know, just 500 years ago. So uh, they started to, to exploit Africa and invade Africa and the scramble for Africa where it was just taken over by the colonialists from Europe. But, um, but um, the Abzu was most likely where Zimbabwe is today because that's where we find Great Zimbabwe, the amazing ruins at Great Zimbabwe. There's very thick walls and high walls. And there's a giant cone conical tower in the, in that. And that to me is a dead giveaway because Anunnaki used cone-shaped tools. All ancient cultures with the knowledge of the laws of nature used cone-shaped tools to as, as Caesar beam technology weapons for cutting, for laser, for, for lifting, levitation, moving things. Um, just like the, the two boys at Coral Castle saw Ed Leeds Kalnan move those big rocks at Coral Castle with what they described as ice cream cones in, in his hands. And you see many depictions of winged beings and Anunnaki type beings in ancient times holding cones and shamans from you know Africa or, or the Mesoamericas, shamans with vibrating plates on their heads holding two cone-shaped tools in their hands. So it's a very clear indication that they use cone-shaped tools as very advanced technology. Uh, they use the Torah stones that I have. I have all of this in my museum here. That's obviously all the fossils and evidence of creatures and giants and everything you can imagine. That's so, so cool. The last question I have for you is about the monatomic gold. Do you think there's still any good monatomic gold today? Or, or, it seems like they were using that. Like if you look in the research that they found it under Hathor's temple, I believe, and they found it in other places too. They were really using that to elongate their life, right? There's no doubt that the Anunnaki used, uh, used monatomic gold. Absolutely. Uh, it's, we just don't know how they, how they stabilized it and how they used it. So we're speculating. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, monoatomic gold is now well studied, well researched. It's still a, a, a great, a well-kept secret, but it has been well studied and well researched. You know, the, the military complex has very good understanding of monoatomic gold and, and other monoatomic elements and how necessary they are for longevity, survival, um, you know, instant knowledge, um, Connecting to the to the to the uh, the field the the field of knowledge around us and so so forth for for being able to do many things. Yeah. So most importantly for longevity and and preventing disease in this three D biological reality we find ourselves. I agree. Um, I don't want to take up much more of your time. I I I I, I know you're very busy. So. I, if you could tell everybody where to find your website, where they could sign up for One Small Town, where they can buy your books, and thank you, by the way. Rob, it's a great pleasure, and I hope that um, that your your audience um, enjoys this. And um, please go to onesmalltown.org. That's the main website for everything, onesmalltown.org. All the information is on there about the infinity tokens, about the projects. Watch the news channels, follow the news on for the progress that we're making. Um, there is such a huge crescendo happening towards Christmas 2022. We're going to kick off next year after a very turbulent two years or two and a half years. We're going to kick off 2023 on a very, very high note. 
in high spirit with lots of excitement because we have probably more than 100 schools already that have signed up on our website to implement the Once More Time initiative and the seed growing program, the food and seed growing program in the schools that we've developed. We have churches signing up. So this thing is going to explode. Once More Time is going to become, is going to get on everyone's lips and thoughts. So go online, sign up, become a member, open up your digital wallet um, account and buy a bunch of infinity tokens so that you have them. You know, they, they $1.20 at the moment, but we expect that over the next uh, year and two years, they're going to go up to way over $100. So it's going to be a very, very good investment, especially once we have, you know, 100,000, 200,000 million people in small town projects all over the world using the tokens, earning the tokens so that they create it Every time the members in any one small town initiative in any country contributes their three hours towards their projects, towards uplifting their communities and beautifying their communities, they are in essence creating that token through their sweat equity. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, th th thank you again. And, and, uh, and we'll have to do this again. And, and I'll, I'll send you a link when I put it up. Excellent. All right. Have a All right. Day.